0: let me remind you this morning that our God is a God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance he's a God of restoration and he wants to make something beautiful out of your life and mine you see in the capable hands of the Lord in his hands you and I can be restored you and I can be molded into all that Jesus has planned and laid out for us to be Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. The title of our message today is In His Hands. In His Hands. In the year 1502 in the city of Florence, in the country of Italy, a large block of marble was in the works department of Santa Maria Church there. The the marble had been purchased by the city's mayor and he intended for it to be used for some beautiful sculpture. But unfortunately, the sculptor that they initially hired who said he was professional was not living up to what he had sold himself as. And in just a few short days, that sculptor that they had start working on that marble chiseled a hole right through the marble on the bottom and ruined it. So the church had no choice but to just cover it up with a sheet and leave it there. But the mayor was intent on making something out of that marble. So he sent out the word and artist after artist, sculptor after sculptor came by to look at it each of them saying it was a lost cause. Till finally one day, one day a man by the name of Michelangelo came along and heard of the marble stone that was ruined. And he looked at it and he, he thought to himself, I think I can make something out of this. And so in his hands he, he took the, the tools that sculptors use And carved out of that ruined block of marble, one of the most beautiful statues, the statue of David, that we're familiar with in history. But it was not until it got into his hands that it was transformed into something great. You know, there are people today who feel like that marble stone, that block of stone. They feel like they're a lost cause. Maybe there's something that has happened, or you've done something or said something to someone else. Or they've done something or said something to you. Caused harm and fractured a relationship. Maybe things have gone wrong in your life because of some sin in your life. Whether it be due to pride or jealousy. Maybe something done out of anger. And you feel like there's a hole there. And it's really made a mess of things. Let me remind you this morning that our God is a God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. He's a God of restoration and he wants to make something beautiful out of your life and mine. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 reminds us of this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 2 and verse 10, reminding us that we're God's handiwork. And that in his hands he can make something beautiful. Another passage for you, Hosea 6 and verse 1 says these words. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. You see, in the capable hands of the Lord, in his hands, you and I can be restored. You and I can be molded into all that Jesus has planned and laid out for us to be. We're going to look into this passage this morning from Jeremiah 18. It's familiar to many of us. Known as the parable of the potter. You know, the prophet Jeremiah was in the southern kingdom of Judah. And if we want to kind of get a little background of where we get to this point in Jeremiah's prophecy. Go back a little bit in history and see how we got there. You remember the kingdom of Israel was divided. The ten northern tribes were called Israel. The two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin were called Judah. And they were separated. Both kingdoms continued on a downward spiritual spiral over the years. Each of them having their own king. Year after year they continued to go further and further away from God. Until the year 721 BC when the northern tribes were carried into captivity by the Assyrians. But for a brief time the southern kingdom had a fairly good king. King Hezekiah. And they managed to pull themselves together under the reign of Hezekiah and avoid being taken captive. But they had a little divine intervention in that, a little divine help. And that's recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. If you have time this week, this afternoon maybe, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 32 and it reads, kind of recounts the story of Hezekiah leading the nation and God intervening and saving them from being taken over by the Assyrians at that point in time. And that was in 701 B.C. when they had laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. And the prophet at that time was Isaiah. So King Hezekiah and Isaiah cry out to the Lord for help. And in 2 Chronicles, starting in in chapter 32, verse 21, it says, The Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king." And he withdrew on his own to his own land. When he got back home, his own sons killed him in the temple of their God. So God took care of the southern kingdom there on every side. And so by the time we get to Jeremiah, about a hundred years has passed from that point. And over that course of time, the southern kingdom of Judah continued to have new kings. After Hezekiah came Manasseh. Who was not a good king. And then Ammon was worse. And then, for a brief period of time, we had a little glimmer of hope when they had Josiah as king. And this is when Jeremiah gets called to be a prophet during that time when Josiah is ruling there in in the southern kingdom. He implemented, Josiah implemented some religious reforms. He kind of started getting Judah back on track. And during the time that Jeremiah was prophesying, Josiah left the throne and had four puppet kings that came behind him that were further and further away from God. And so Jeremiah was prophesying. He was preaching during this time, in these final years, right before the captivity to Babylon. Because of his preaching, he was preaching the word. He was preaching things that people didn't want to hear, trying to bring them back to God. And because of that, he was beaten. He was placed in the stops. He was thrown into a well, left for dead. He faced murder threats, but he was faithful. He continued to preach, continued to bring people God's message that they needed to repent. So as we look into this passage from the prophet Jeremiah this morning, referred to as the parable of the potter, we're going to read the passage. We're going to talk about some truth that we need to be reminded of in this passage as we look together. So let's read Jeremiah 18, we're going to read the first six verses. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Let's pray. Father, be with me this morning. Help me to preach this message the way that I should. We want you to have all the honor and glory, Lord. Hide me behind the cross. And Lord, send your Holy Spirit to be here among us to help us discern what your word has to say for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Ever since Renee and I have been married for the last 16 years, anytime we went on a a trip somewhere, we would always try to pick up some little memento, some little remembrance of the trip. Usually it's a piece of pottery or plate or some kind of little trinket. And our shelves in our den are filled with those that just kind of look up there and remember when we went to that, that place there or went to a certain place. It's a special treat any time we've gotten to go to the Smoky Mountains because you can actually go to the place where the pottery is made and watch it being made. See those shops there where the craftsmen are working. And most of the time the craftsmen will sign the bottom of the pottery. I had a cup out this morning. I left it on the counter when I was coming. But uh, on the bottom of the coffee cup that I used this morning, it had Alawine Pottery, 2014. Just a market with their name. In the year you know the art of pottery is is one of the oldest arts in the world you can go to any archaeological dig no matter how far in the past the civilization was there's remnants of pottery there so the art of pottery is one of the oldest arts but it's not changed much since the beginning it's still done very, very much the same way that they always have done it and so as we look into the potter's house this morning through the eyes of Jeremiah, there are three things he mentions here in these six verses that are common. Anytime you go to a potter's house, anytime you go to a pottery place, there are these three common elements. And I want to point them out to you and make some application to our life this morning. The first thing that's obvious, when you go to the potter's house, there's going to be clay. It's going to be that raw material, that, the clay that's needed to make the Pottery we know in this parable from Jeremiah 18 who the clay is, what God's talking about here. In the second half of verse 6 there, it says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand. We're the clay. We're the raw material that God uses. You know, way back in the beginning of the Bible, God talks about how we are made... From the ground, made from the dust of the ground. Listen to Genesis 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. and the man became a living being. It's Genesis 2 and verse 7. In the very next chapter, Genesis 3, it talks about it again. When God was pronouncing the curse on Adam and Eve because of their sin, God said these words in Genesis 3. By the sweat of your brow you'll eat, from your, eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Those are two verses out of Genesis. And then Job knew that we were made from clay, made from the earth. Job 10 and verse 9, he said, Remember, talking to God, remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? We're nothing but dust clay I read a story of a little boy who had gone with his parents to a funeral and you know funerals shake up big kids but funerals shake up little kids really a lot and so he went to the funeral with his parents and that night when he got ready for bedtime his mother went in his room to tuck him in and she could see the worried look on his face she said what's wrong he said mom I got a question for you did the preacher really mean, mean what he was saying? That it is really true that man is from dust and will return to dust? She said, that's right. That's what the Bible says. Well, Mama, can I sleep with you and Daddy tonight? Why, she said. Well, if that's true, if what the Bible says is true, I looked under my bed, and there's a big man either coming or going, and I don't want to be here one, to find out which one. He was terrified because he had heard... The preachers say that we're dust and we're going to return to dust. So he didn't want to be there to find out what was taking place. There's a few qualities of clay that we need to be reminded of. Clay is ugly, formless, doesn't have any shine to it usually, nothing to to write home about. And by itself it can do nothing. It cannot make itself into a pot. And that's a picture of us spiritually spiritually. Spiritually, when we look inside of our own hearts, apart from Jesus Christ, we're ugly and messy and not able to do anything in our own strength. That's why Jesus suffered and bled and died for us on the cross at Calvary, to make a way for us to be clean when we apply the blood to our own life through repentance and faith in Him. But there's so many who today in this world say, I don't need God. I'm I'm proud. I can do it on my own. We look around most churches, are. there are more empty seats than there are full seats in this town and around the state and around the world. That's common. Because so many people say they don't need God. They can handle things just fine on their own. But that's not the case. I read a story, another story of uh, man was bragging to Abraham Lincoln about he was, how he was a self-made man. All this stuff that he had accumulated was self-made. He was a self-made man. And Abe Lincoln just kind of chuckled and said, well, I'm happy to hear you say that. Now we can't blame God for the way you turned out. It's your own fault. Friend, in our own strength, in our own power, you and I are nothing but helpless, useless clay. Without the power of Jesus in our life, we are clay." That's the first thing that's essential. First thing that you see when you go to a potter's house is the clay. There's a second thing we see. Second thing that Jeremiah saw here when he looked through into the window of this potter's house. He saw the wheel. Look at verse three. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. And we've all seen the potter's wheel before. You've seen it on TV or in person. A potter has a wheel. That round, flat disc that spins around. He puts the clay on and forms it into something magnificent. But you've got to have a wheel. And if he needs it to spin faster, he, the old time they would pump, pump it with their foot. did they didn't, needed it to go faster, they'd pump a little faster, slower. They'd pedal it slower. And nowadays they run off of electricity. But the wheel is necessary in crafting that pottery. In this parable of the potter, the wheel, we know the wheel represents the circumstances of life. That word circumstance, the the first part of that word circum means circular, round and round. And stance means stationary or standing. The word circumstance basically means constantly turning. It's constant, but it's turning. Round and round it goes. And God is using the wheel of our lives, the experiences that we face, the circumstances that we face to shape us. That's what that wheel represents. But so many times, life has twists and turns that we're not expecting. The twists and turns of life sometimes come at us so fast we can't keep up. And we cry out to God and want to know why. Why is this happening to me? Why is it doing this? Sometimes we're In a situation and we wish it would go faster and it goes slow. We wonder why. We question God. We don't understand the revolutions of the wheel called life. We think we know better than God. We think we're smarter. There was a story of a man, two men standing in the heat of July under the shade of a big oak tree, looking out over a watermelon patch. And one man said to the other, you know, look at this. He said, this magnificent oak tree standing here. We're basking in the shade under its branches. And it produces little small acorns. And then we see those lowly watermelon vines over there. And they have huge watermelons on them. He said, if, if I were in charge, this magnificent, mighty oak would have acorns the size of watermelons. And about that time, an acorn hit him on the head. And his friend says, good thing you're not in charge. That would have been a watermelon. God knows best. Who are we to question God? Paul asked the question, all asked us that question in his letter to the Romans and in Romans nine and verse twenty. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? We would be wise to remember what Isaiah said. In Isaiah fifty five and verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We need to remember we're on God's will. We're on God's time. In His time, we sang just a minute ago. He makes all things beautiful in His time. And in His way. We've been in Romans the last few weeks. Last week we were in Romans 8. We need to remember that verse, Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. When we sing that hymn sometime, we'll understand it better by and by. And that's so true. We can't see what God has in store for us right now. We just have to trust the process. Trust being on His will and His time. Letting Him do with us as He sees fit. I told you there are three things that Jeremiah saw. There are three things that are in every potter's house. We talked about the clay being the first. And the wheel, the circumstances of life being the second. And the third is the most essential. That's the potter. You've got to have a potter to have pottery. That lump of clay on its own can't do anything. The wheel by itself can't do anything. You put the the clay and the wheel together, they can't do anything until the touch of the master's hand is on it. The touch of the potter's hand is on it. Let's look again there at verse 3 of our text. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Jeremiah sees this master craftsman there, sitting at the wheel, attentive to the clay, molding it in his hands. And then he says the pot was marred. Now why do you think the pot was marred? It wasn't anything to do with the ability of the the craftsman. The craftsman knows his work. There's nothing wrong with the wheel. The problem is in the clay. The impurity is in the clay. And that's a picture of our, our own selves when we have some impurity, some sin hidden within our hearts. It mars the plan that God has for our lives. And so we need to make sure That we don't have any hidden sin in our life. Is your life what it ought to be? If we have any unconfessed sin hidden in our hearts. It's causing God to not be able to do the beauty that he wants to do. Or he'll do a work. But it won't be quite according to what he initially planned. If if you don't get some sin out of your life. I've got a question for you. And don't answer this out loud. This is just between you and God. Does your character... Match your reputation. You say, what do you mean by that? Does your character match your reputation? Your reputation is what people think of you. Your character is what God knows about you. And only you and God know the truth. About whether your reputation matches your character. That's a sobering thought when we think about it. If there's some hidden sin in your life, it's marring the plan God has for you. And God is telling you to confess it this morning. In order to have that beautiful pottery, there's always got to be clay. And there's always got to be a wheel. But there's always got to be that master craftsman, that potter. But there's something else in common. We talked about it earlier. At least on the pottery that we've always purchased. It's got the master's signature on the bottom. The Bible tells us when we come to Jesus by faith, the Holy Spirit Seals us, it marks us. God puts His stamp on us by the promised Holy Spirit, stamping our hearts. That's where the Holy Spirit resides. The Bible says that when we come to Jesus, we pass from death unto life. And there's another place our name is written down. Our name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. My name is there, is yours. What's the date beside? Your name. When did you come to Jesus? Make sure your name is there. But there's another thing that gives me chills every time I think about it. The potter signs the bottom of the pottery with his name. But God's word tells us that our name is in a certain place. Listen to Isaiah 49 and verse 16. He says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands you've come to Jesus by faith your name is written on the very palm of his hand and that gives me chills every time I think about it will you yield to the master's hand this morning surrender to his will for your life confess your sin in just a minute we're going to sing have thine own way Lord thou art the potter I am the clay mold me and make me after thy will while I am yielded waiting and still Would you surrender to Him in that manner this morning? Maybe for the first time you say, I surrender all to you, God. Mold me and make me according to the way and the plan that you have for my life. Or maybe you've surrendered to Him years before but there's this hole and you feel like things are not right. He invites you to lay that at His feet this morning. Lay it at the feet of the cross. Come to Jesus. Let Him lift the burden off of you. Because he cares for you. Whatever way God is calling you this morning, you respond. As we pray and as we sing here in just a minute. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we're grateful that you are the master craftsman. And Lord, if we will allow you to change us and mold us into the, the image of your son. Lord, that's what you want to do. And that's the best thing for us. Sometimes we push back and we rebel and we say, no, I want to do things my way but help us to know in the depths of our heart that your way is the right way and that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are higher than our ways. Father, help us to yield to you so that we might become that beautiful clay pot that you have laid out for us to be. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.